Uh, John chapter 7, if you guys have your Bible, stand on up with me. We're going to read the scriptures together. John chapter 7, verse 37 is where we're going to start. Um, while you're standing and turning, don't forget we have a great women's event, Christmas event, coming up on December 9th, uh, 6 o'clock right here in the worship center. Uh, the gospel will be preached. Anna Golden's going to be with us. Tickets are on sale right now. I'll be out in the lobby with my wife afterwards. And then also don't forget that tonight we have an evening of gratitude, a night of gratitude. We're going to be right back here at 6.30 in the worship center. Uh, we're going to be worshiping God and thanking him for all that he faithfully did in Tijuana through the Awaken event and Awaken Aid and then a ton of other stuff that he did. Um, and we're going to also have an opportunity for people to share from their perspective what God did through their life. So um, if you didn't go, listen, come. It, does, it doesn't matter if you win or if you didn't win. Just come, come on back. And, um, you know, I know you don't have anything to do tonight. <laughs> right? And you're like, I got football. And I, it's like, football or worship God? Oh, that was guilt trip number two. <laughs> that was it right there. All right, I got two left. Verse 37, um, context here, this is the Feast of Tabernacles. I'm going to explain it uh, in just a little bit, uh, but we're kind of like airdropping right into a situation. Um, powerful words of Christ, but he's present in Jerusalem with millions of Jewish people celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Bible says this, like the whole feast has gone through, it's the last day of the feast, and he's on the Temple Mount. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone, if anyone thirsts, we're not talking about physical thirst, we're talking about deep spiritual thirst. Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That, by the way, is problematic for the preacher. One time I said livers of living water, which is not what, which is not what he promises, by the way. Bible says in verse 39, now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word for us today. This, every weekend, God, you have a word for us. I have no doubt, no doubt, God, that you have something special for us today. And so we pray together in one accord Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us, in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Have you guys ever had um, a trusted, true friend that, for some reason, kind of fell off the face of the map? You know, wh whatever it might have been, you know, very strong relationship, and then all of a sudden, you just kind of experience some separation with this particular friend. And days go by, weeks go by, months go by. You're scrolling through your contacts on your phone. You see their name, and it's like the light goes on, and you think, man, I haven't thought about them for a long time. You know, I wonder how they're doing. They've just been off the radar. Um, or maybe... You know, you have a friendship like that, and, and there's been some separation, and, and it's not until you have a particular need that this person is able to uniquely help you with, right? You're going through something, and it's been, you know, tested before that this friend has just a real unique capacity to help people with this partic particular thing, and you're reminded of that person, and then you've got to navigate, you know, how awkward it is 
to call them out of the blue and say, hey, man, love, you've been thinking about you. By the way, can you help me with, because you know that's just awkward, right? Um, or maybe, you know, this friend has been off the radar for you, and it's not until another friend, it's not until another friend mentions their name. And as they mention their name, you know, your heart's just kind of moved, and you, 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 you miss them, and you think about the time that has been lost. Um, I say all of that to you to say this morning, I think this is how Christians treat the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit is like a forgotten friend among Christians. Like we're familiar with the Father, we certainly know the Son, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit, there is just seems to be a lot of disengagement. He is a trusted and true friend that unfortunately goes uh, forgotten more often than not. Um, it's not until we're scrolling through the pages of Scripture and we hit a, a verse or a few verses like this and we're reminded, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit, right? Um, or we're, we're in a situation where we've got a serious need, a serious need in our life, and we've expended every single other option, and finally, like the bell, or the, the bell goes on, the bell rings, the light goes on, and we think, man, it's, it's the Holy Spirit. By the way, by the way, God loves you enough to bring circumstances and situations. If you've been forgetting the Holy Spirit... Like if you've been disengaged from the Spirit of God, God loves you enough to allow things to happen in your life. And I'm not saying it's always adversity, but he will bring things in your life to pull you back to the recognition, the realization that you should be depending upon him every single day. Um, sometimes it's not until pastor, a pastor is preaching and starts talking about the Holy Spirit where you're sitting there and the Bible's open and it's like, oh yeah, that's right, you know, the Holy Spirit. You know, I think that, I think it's fair to say that for many people, the Spirit of God just, for many Christians, the Spirit of God goes unrecognized. In fact, I would say Christians are confused about the Holy Spirit. Barna, um, which is a research organization, highly reputable, really has their finger on the pulse of the church, did a survey on the Holy Spirit and the church. And this was one of the things that they discovered. They said, based on their research, that some 62% of self-identified born-again Christians believe that the Holy Spirit is not real. Not a real living being, but merely a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity. Like, I want, I want you to let that sink in. We're not talking about fringe Christians. We're not talking about people that are just out there on the edge. We're talking about born-again believers, reputable, solid study, surveying the church, and what did they discover? They discovered that 62% of self-identified born-again Christians don't even believe that the Holy Spirit is a real person. Yeah, that, that, should, that should make you groan in your spirit. In fact, the, the article was titled, Most Christians Don't Believe the Holy Spirit is Real. And, and I think... I think like we all need to let that, we all need to let that sink in and the truth is this, that maybe for us, for the most part, that doesn't really reflect what we think about the Holy Spirit, but the truth is, I would say for a good percentage of us, we're really not living lives that are as dependent upon the Holy Spirit as they should be. In fact, I think that the dissatisfaction that most Christians have in their lives is related to a disconnection from the Holy Spirit. You say, Pastor, like Christians living dissatisfied lives? I say, yeah, you know, we, 
We interface and interact with Christians all the time. And I'm telling you, more often than not, for many if not most Christians, they still feel like something's missing in their life. They feel like there's this puzzle piece that just hasn't clicked into place. Many Christians are still pursuing what the world has to offer as a means to satisfy the deep need that is within their souls while they have access to the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, how can that be? I would say that, you know, this is a generalization. I believe it's true. By the way, are you with me today? Yeah. All right. I need engagement this morning. So, so I'll give you something to engage on in a minute. But I think that we have right gospel theology, I th but I think we, we have wrong Holy Spirit theology. I think that when it comes to the gospel, the incarnation, the perfect life, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, like we're solid in that. But when it comes to the theology of the Holy Spirit, um, sometimes we can either be very confused, believing things that aren't true, or sometimes we have no theology at all. Someone comes to us and asks us a question about the Holy Spirit, and it's like, I don't know, email the pastor. Like, why are you asking me that question? Well, I mean, these are questions that we should be able to answer. Can I get an amen from the church today? So, so the deal is this, right? Remember with me uh, that the history, I say the Feast of Tabernacles, and like a lot of us, we just, you know, there's, we, we don't know how to locate that in our minds or in our theology um, because, you know, we tend to think that at least, you know, this is, this is something that is typically taught in churches across America, that the Old Testament really isn't relevant for New Testament believers, and nothing could be further from the truth. You know that two-thirds of your Bible is the Old Testament, and so, like, it's legitimate to say that the foundation of your faith, the foundation of your faith is Genesis to Malachi, and it is important for you and for me to know our Old Testament. In fact, the history of Israel itself is a prophetic picture pointing to the ultimate plan of God. I'm saying to you today that every story that you read in the Old Testament is somehow connected to the New Testament. Sometimes the connection is for us, New Testament believers, a moral principle, right? There are Events, when we went through Genesis, we learned this. We, we read stories, and those stories, although, you know, they may not have seemed totally relevant to us today, there was a moral principle that we were able to distill for our own lives. Maybe it was how we should live our lives, or maybe it was how we should depend upon God. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church of Corinth, he was listing a series of things that the children of Israel failed on, and he followed up those stories with this statement. He said, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. So every time you're reading uh, the Old Testament, and you've landed on some story, remember, there are moral principles for us to gain from that. But then in addition to that, sometimes those stories are a prophetic picture of a greater thing that God is going to do, like a snapshot, a picture, a foretaste, a foreshadow, a primer, right? When a movie comes out, you get the trailer, and the trailer is just, a, a, you know, 90 seconds or 120 seconds, a snippet of all these different scenes, but it's not until you're sitting in the movie theater and taking the whole two hours in that you get the whole picture. 
Well, you know, there are stories in the Old Testament that are just like that. They're, they're, they're snapshots. They're pictures for us. For example, um, God directed Abraham to take his only son, his only son whom he loved, Isaac, to Mount Moriah. They journeyed to Mount Moriah. Abraham bound Isaac, laid him on the altar, was about to offer him as a burnt offering to God, a sacrifice. And then, you know, God provided himself as a sacrifice. All of that was a picture pointing to the ultimate sacrifice that the Father would make in the delivering of the Son to the cross for you and for me. That's right. That's your moment. That was your setup. I think about the picture of the Passover. Remember Exodus chapter 12. There were nine plagues that had swept through Israel. The tenth plague was the loss of the firstborn son in every house unless you took the lamb, one lamb per family, sacrificed that lamb, poured the blood in the bowl, and then sprinkled the blood on the doorpost and the lentil of the house. And as the blood of the lamb was sprinkled on the doorpost and the lentil of the home, the angel of destruction, as it passed over, saw the blood of the lamb and passed over judgment, and instead that household received mercy, right? For 1,600 years, year after year, the children of Israel celebrated the Passover, sacrificed the lamb. It wasn't until Jesus came, and John the Baptist evidently got this. He said, you remember, behold the lamb, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. All of those previous Passover sacrifices were small snapshots. They were pictures of the ultimate plan of God, which was to allow his son to be sacrificed so that the judgment of God that we deserve would pass over us and we instead would receive his mercy and his grace. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Can I give you, can I give you one more? Um, you know, the story of Jonah in, in the belly of the great fish, you know that story, and you think, man, well, what, what does that have to do with anything? You know, there he was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. Jesus said, hey, you know, no sign, a wicked and evil generation asked for a sign. No sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. As he was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, and then he will be victoriously resurrected from the dead. That's right. So like you can get, you can see, right? Every Old Testament story is connected to the New Testament. Um, I, I would also suggest to you that the whole exodus of Israel is a picture. It is a snapshot. Some scholars, and if you're Bible inclined today, you might call it a type. Some scholars call it a type. But as you look at the journey of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land, all of that is a picture. All of that is a picture of your life as a Christian. You say, well, how is that so? Well, the children of Israel were delivered out of Egypt, just as the Christian is delivered out of our sin. The children of Israel were, were relieved from the oppression, the vicious oppression of Pharaoh, just as the Christian who puts their trust and faith in Jesus Christ is relieved from the brutal oppression of the adversary, the devil. 
The children of Israel, as they were ushered out of Egypt, entered into that wilderness area through the Red Sea as the Red Sea was parted. And just as the Bible says, Peter uh, speaking to those he was writing to, the the children of God um, are brought into the promised land through the baptismal waters. Not Not that baptism saves, but it is a picture, it is a doorway, it is uh, the beginning of a new thing. When they were in the wilderness, they were fed with bread from heaven. Jesus Christ is the bread that satisfies, the bread of life. Uh, They were given the law on Mount Sinai. The law came through Moses. We receive the grace of God that comes through Mount Calvary. And then the final thing is this. Uh, Remember when they were in the wilderness, over a million and a half of them where their thirst was satiated by water that came out of a rock. And the New Testament tells us that that rock was Christ. And then Jesus speaking here says that that water is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And so that whole scene in the wilderness of water gushing forth, pouring over, and satisfying the physical thirst of the Israelites was a picture that was fulfilled on the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus revealing that he himself was the rock, whoever believes in me, and what he supplies is the satisfying waters of the Holy Spirit, living water. So the Feast of Tabernacles that was being celebrated in this moment was in fact a messianic picture. I'm saying this to you today because the vast majority of us don't have a a Jewish upbringing. We're not familiar with the Feast of Tabernacles. We don't have the context to understand that this particular feast that had been celebrated for 1,400 years was all pointing to one one thing, that Jesus is the Messiah and that he supplies the Holy Spirit to those who believe. The feast, yes, yeah, amen, thanks. You're like, I don't know what that means, but pastor, praise the Lord. Feast of Tabernacles, let me just explain it to you. There, there were three pilgrim feasts that were required for Jewish men over a certain age to attend every single year. There were three of them. So in order, according to the calendar, you have Passover, you have Pentecost, and you have the Feast of Tabernacles, right? The Feast of Tabernacles was the most attended feast of all of the feasts. Um, Josephus says that there were well over a million people, sometimes up to two million people in the old city, in the city of Jerusalem. And it was unique in that it was a very joyful Feast. It was a very joyful celebration. So right before the Feast of Tabernacles, you have the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement was a time of self-reflection and evaluation and, you know, keeping your record straight with God, a time of offering of sacrifice. You would come through the Day of Atonement, which was a time of grieving over personal sin, to the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a time of giving praise and thanks to God. It was during the time of harvest, so... So today, the Jews still celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. It falls in September or October. This is why we don't travel to Israel during these months because the, the, the whole country is packed. Uh, but it was a time of acknowledging the faithfulness of God to bring the rain and to ultimately supply the fruit for the harvest. And so they're commemorating the faithfulness of God in that particular, particular year. But more importantly, they were looking back to the faithfulness of God 
uh, over the 40 years, 40 plus years that the Jews sojourned in the wilderness before they entered the promised land. Remember, they were unwilling to walk by faith, and so part of the consequence of their resistance to God was that they were stuck going in circles in the wilderness for 40 years. By the way, I hope that's not you today. I hope you're not stuck going in a, in a circle, as it were, in a spiritual wilderness because you've been resistant to the things of God. In the midst of their disobedience, listen, God was still faithful. God still provided for them. God sustained them with bread from heaven. He satisfied their thirst with water that came from a rock. And so as Jews would come, not just from all over Israel to Jerusalem, but they would come from all over the world. As they're in Jerusalem celebrating, they would build these little temporary huts to live in as a reminder of God's faithfulness during this sojourning time. But the key thing here is um, the, the feast began with uh, a specific um, thing that the priest did. So the very first day of the feast, early in the morning, a trumpet or shofar would sound from the southwest corner of the Temple Mount. A priest would walk out with the procession of people out the water gate. Um, they would be singing songs to God. They would walk down to the pool of Siloam, which is, you know, a pretty good hike. He would take a golden pitcher, he would dip it in the pool of Siloam and fill it with water, and then the whole procession would make their way back up through the water gate, up onto the temple, into the actual temple, and the priest would recite uh, Psalm 118, verse 25, and two sections of scripture from Zechariah 14 and Ezekiel 47. They would walk around the altar one time, and they would pour out the water, and there would be a time of reflection before the Lord. This happened every single day. On the last day, the day of the great feast, the whole procession went down. It was like extra boisterous, extra loud, extra worship, kind of like comparing the 9 a.m. service to the 11 a.m. service, right? Just like, <laughs> like a little more leaning into it, you know, you guys do. And they would get up to, somebody's going to get me for that one for sure. It's coming. They would get back up to the Temple Mount, and this time what they would do is they would walk around the altar three times, and then they would pour the water out. Now, the water symbolizing, uh, commemorating the faithfulness of God, like I said, to pour out water from a rock. But remember, like I said as well, the water is always a symbol of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. And at this point, as there's a hush over the crowd, and there's that time of reflection, Jesus stands up, and he declares these words. He says, if anyone thirsts, just imagine this, right? I mean, Josephus, an ancient Jewish historian, said there could be up to 200,000 people on the Temple Mount. We know it was packed. And so this procession's just happened. The feast is just about to end. This is the high point, the climax, the apex. And what does he do? He stands up and he shouts, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John, of course, gives a commentary on this and just acknowledges, hey, we didn't get it at the time, but what he was talking about was the Holy Spirit. He was saying that he was the one who would give the fullness of God's Spirit to the point of being overflowing with heaven's life if we just believe in him. 
Listen, I want to say to you today, and this is just a reminder, but can I just recalibrate us today? Like the purpose that the Father has for you is that you enjoy him, that you become like Jesus, that you radiate God's kingdom, and that you influence the world for Christ. Can you, can you affirm that today? Like this is the purpose of the Father for you. You're like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. I just come to church because my wife wants me here. Well, you need Jesus, okay? So we'll get to that too in just a minute, so hang tight. God's, God's plan for you is to enjoy him, to become like Jesus. He's molding and shaping you into the image of his son, to radiate the kingdom of God and to influence the world for Christ. And I just want to say to you today that you can't do that without the Holy Spirit. Like, you can't do that without the Holy Spirit. Do you know that today? Like, God has called you to things that you can't do in your own strength, with your own power, you know, by asserting your own will. It is an, this Christian life is an absolute impossibility without the power, without the relationship that you are intended to have with the Spirit of God. And so will you give me permission to challenge you today? Can I? Are you paying attention this morning? How's that going for you? How's your relationship with the Holy Spirit? As you consider your own life, now I know that you, you might be able to say, well, I'll tell you, his is really bad and hers really stinks and you have no idea, pastor, what's going on in that person's life. And like, just drop that for a minute. I'm not talking about him or her or them. Let's just focus on ourselves. Let, let's just focus on ourselves. How has our relationship been going with the Spirit of God? Like, when's the last time you spent time praying to God's Spirit or depending upon God's Spirit? When's the last time you really thought about developing your relationship with the Spirit of God? And it's important because Jesus said this to his disciples. And this is, we'll get to this in John chapter 16. This is right before the incident in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Right? I mean, they're grieving. He's talking about... He's talking about leaving, right, going to the Father, and they're broken up over it, and he hits pause, and he says, no, listen, it's to your advantage. It's to your advantage that I go away, because if I don't go away, the helper won't come, and you need the helper. Like, in this life, Jesus is saying, you can't do what I've called you to do without a budding, blossoming relationship with the Spirit of God. And so today, I want to give you four things that you can do to develop your relationship with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit a lot um, in coming weeks, but this is just kind of a primer. It is um, to lay the groundwork. So if you're taking notes today, I hope you are. This isn't complicated, and you need to apply this this week. I'll give you the four, and then we'll go through them. Number one, you need to know him. Number one, you need to know him. Number two, you need to invite him. You need to invite him. Number three, you need to remind yourself of him. And number four, you need to rely on him. Number one is this, you need to know him. And said simply, you need to learn who the Holy Spirit is by studying your Bible. You need to learn who the Holy Spirit is by studying your Bible. Now, we're going to help you a little bit with this. If you go, not right now, but 
later today or later this week, um, we have a page, a landing page on our webpage for this study. It's, it's an Encounter Jesus landing page. And we've posted eight studies that I've done on the Holy Spirit, ranging from the Trinity, uh, who is the Holy Spirit, all the way to spiritual gifts. And so we want to help you to be able to learn from the Scripture who the Holy Spirit is and what he what he means, what he should mean to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. But I also want to encourage you to do your own study. You can go to blueletterbible.org and in the search, you can type in uh, quotes with Holy Spirit in the quotes and it'll bring up every time in the Bible that the phrase Holy Spirit appears. Now maybe you're not savvy with the computer, pull the concordance off of your shelf, you know the 50 pound book that you used to like Thumb through, some of you are like, I don't even know what a concordance is. Like, what are you talking about? How do you spell that word? And just do a, a word search and start discovering from the word of God who the Holy Spirit is. It's important, listen, because you can't even be saved without having the Spirit of God. Did you know that? Romans chapter 8, verse 9, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ or the Holy Spirit, same thing, does not belong to him. You have to have the Spirit of God to belong to Jesus Christ. And listen, not only that, but did you know the Holy Spirit is the one that regenerates your dead spirit within you so that you can even have communion with God? Like you are born with an incapacity to even hear from God or relate to Him. It's not until John chapter three, verses three to five, you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ that you're born again. This means not just a new start, a new beginning, but that Spirit because we are all body, mind, and spirit. I believe in a human trichotomy. And you say, well, well I don't even wanna talk about it. That's a whole other thing. I don't have the time to waste on that today. So your dead spirit, when you put your trust and faith in Christ, is regenerated. And now you have the capacity, because the Spirit's done this work in your life, to have communion with the Father. Did you know he baptizes you in the body of Christ? He baptizes you into the body of Christ. I'm not talking about water baptism. The word baptism means to immerse. In this context, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, it means to place. So you are placed supernaturally into the church of God by the Holy Spirit. Coming to church does not mean you're part of God's church. Attending church does not mean that you're part of the body of Christ or the bride of Christ or the family of God or the church of the living God. No, it's the Holy Spirit. When you believe in Jesus Christ, he takes your life like a living stone and he places it into this living temple in which God is worshiped. He regenerates your spirit. He places you into the church. Did you know he seals you? The Spirit of God seals you, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. When you believed in Christ, you were sealed. The mark of God was placed upon you. You were given the Spirit as a guarantee, right, that God was going to complete the good work that he began in you. In other words, God, as you have the Spirit of God, he has marked you, he has sealed you. You are, that package, if you're a package, is gonna safely arrive in heaven because the Spirit of God is your guarantee. Spirit of God is your guarantee. Kind of like this, you're buying a house, right? You're interested, the, not right now because that would be dumb, but you know, <laughs> you're buying a house 
and, and you're interested, so you put down the earnest money, and that sets it up as a guarantee that, that that house is yours. You just have to go through the process of closing escrow, but it was the guarantee that settled it as a decision and as a legal arrangement, and the Spirit of God is that guarantee for us. Did you know he indwells you? He lives within you? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says, don't you know like he's addressing all these sin issues in the church at Corinth. He's like, don't you know that you are, the spirit of God dwells in you and that you are the temple of the living God? And then he empowers you. He gives spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. It is one and the same spirit that apportions to each one as he desires. Everybody, we're not talking about this today, it's later, but everybody in this room has one or more spiritual gifts. And, and you know what? You didn't come up with that gift yourself. It's not like, oh, you know what? I want the gift of teaching, and so you got the gift of teaching. No, the Spirit of God chose wisely to give the gifts that he desires, and so, so he has. Hey, use your spiritual gift. But today, I just want to say, out of all those things, uh, the real point is that the Holy Spirit supplies also heaven's life to you now. Heaven's life to you now. This is a big theme in, in the gospel according to John. John's, one of his key themes is this life. The Greek word is zoe. There's two words in Greek that we translate into English, life. One is bios, that's physical life. One is zoe, that's heaven's life. When Jesus said, I've come to give you life and that much more abundantly, he didn't say I came to give you zoe, or he didn't say I came to give you bios. I came to give you zoe. I came to give you heaven's life. Right, heaven's life isn't just something that you're gonna experience after this life and you're just stuck with everything the world has to offer right now. No, God supplies heaven to you now through the power of his Holy Spirit. And there's one place and only one place that you can drink from these wells and that is the person of Jesus Christ. You say, You say, well, what is it? What is heaven's life? What is that supposed to look like? Well, I mean, there's a lot of answers to that, but today, I just want to draw your attention to the screen, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. What should heaven's life look like in our life? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Say this with me, okay? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Um, sounded like you guys got a little quiet on patience. You're like, love, joy, peace, <laughs> kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Look, this, this life, this is the evidence of the Spirit of God living in your life. This should be pouring over in you. So there's this big contrast in the life of a Christian, and I'm not saying it's like this 100% of the time, but you should be growing in this. Love instead of selfishness. Joy instead of discontentment. Peace instead of anxiety. Patience instead of... <laughs> Patience instead of... Yeah, should we do it one more time? Patience instead of... I'm just saying, man, I love Christmas, but December's insane, right? It's just insane. It, you know, oh, never mind. It's insane. You need the Spirit of God. So do I. Kindness instead of meanness or rudeness. You know, I, like you might be thinking, it's so hard to witness. I don't know what to say. Just be kind, all right? Just be kind. And people will say, hey, what's different about you? Because you're being nice and not rude. And then you can just say Jesus, okay? Goodness 
instead of evil desire, faithfulness instead of irresponsibility, gentleness instead of harshness, self-control instead of being undisciplined. So, look, you, you should read that, and you should be convicted a little bit. Does it convict you a little bit? Yeah. Do you look at that and, and think, ugh, you know, I mean, thank God for what he has done. Thank, thank God I'm not the man that I used to be, but I know right now I'm not altogether the man that I'm supposed to be. I'm preparing for this study, and I'm going through this, and I'm like, oh, man, that one's not good. I got an issue. I need to solve that, resolve it before I teach this study. And, you know, we're all growing in this. I'm not saying this today to discourage you. I'm just saying, like, our lives should be being described by the fruit of God's Spirit. This is where real satisfaction comes from. Hey, this is the answer to sin in our life. Why do we not need to lust? Why do we not need to covet? Why do we not need to lie? Why do we not need to be driven by greed? Because we've got the Spirit of God satisfying the deepest needs in our heart. Next, um, next time you're confronted with temptation, choose to be satisfied by God's Spirit. Paul goes on to say, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. According to Jesus, listen, these things should be abundantly overflowing our lives. They should be abundantly overflowing our lives. I love how the language of God is never meager. It's never meager. Jesus doesn't say, hey, you know, come to me and out of your heart, there will be dribbling, dribbling a little bit of the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, come to me and, you know, you'll get a couple drips of the Spirit out of your life. No, he said, rivers, rivers, torrents. I mean, think about something that is just absolute. Think about the Niagara Falls right now. And that should, we should be growing in a lifestyle that evidences the Spirit of God pouring through us in such great capacity. You say, you know, I look at my life, Pastor, and I don't necessarily see that. Why is it that, that it seems like the Spirit of God in that regard is being shut down in my life? Well, number one, for sure, is ignorance. Sometimes we're just biblically illiterate. We don't even know. Some, for some of us, that's the first time we read these verses. And we didn't even know that that was available to us. I think more than that, though, I think that I think one of the reasons, one of the main reasons in America why the Spirit of God is shut down in our life is because we've learned to live comfortably without Him. We've just learned to live comfortable lives, right? I mean, I'm not laying a guilt trip on us today, but, but the truth is this, there are a lot of people suffering for their faith across the world, Saudi Arabia and Tunisia and North Korea and China and Egypt. We think about these Christians who've had everything stripped away and yet they consider themselves to be the richest people because they have the Holy Spirit. And, and then in our country where we have such immense blessings, and listen, this is not a guilt trip again, but I think it's harder for us to navigate because we can be, become so content with all of the things that we have, we don't really depend upon the Spirit like we should. I think in addition to that, you know, the Spirit oftentimes speaks in a still, small voice, and if we resist that voice over and over again, it becomes harder and harder for us to hear the Spirit of God. And then I think also, finally, like straight-up disobedience. When we choose to walk in sin, it will quench the Holy Spirit. So, the second thing today is this, we need to invite Him. 
We need to invite the Spirit of God to search our hearts. We need to invite the Spirit of God to reveal himself to us. When's the last time you prayed, Holy Spirit, reveal yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. Show yourself to me. Help me to see, because I know you're always working. Help me to see what it is that you're doing. When's the last time you asked or invited the Spirit of God to search your heart? Like in this way, search me and try me. See if there's any wicked way within me, Psalm 139, and lead me in the way everlasting. Like this is the honest confession of every true Christian. We know there are things in our hearts that can quench the Spirit of God. And sometimes, sometimes you know we can turn a blind eye to our own issues. And so what do we do? We open ourselves up. We're an open book. He sees it anyway. And we say, show us, reveal it to us. And then as he chooses to, we have to respond by walking in obedience. Sin extinguishes the fire of God's spirit in you. Sin extinguishes the fire of God's spirit in you. And with this particular point, remember, it's not just about us getting more of the Holy Spirit It's about the Holy Spirit getting more of us. And and I think that's important because, you know, we lean into the power. Like, I want the power. I want the spiritual gifts. What's my spiritual gift? How can I be used? God, how can you work through me? And I think that that's an appropriate desire. But before he works through you, he wants to work in you. Before he works the miracle, he wants to transform the character. Because the character is what matters most to the Lord. The third thing today, obviously, was remind yourself of him. Remember, it's a relationship. You have a relationship with the Father, amen? You have a relationship with the Son, amen? You remember the Father, and you remember the Son, and I want to encourage you today to remember the Holy Spirit. By that I mean be intentional about making him a consistent part of your life. How do you do that? Well, remember, you can't even pray without the Spirit of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, when you hit those times where you're like, I don't know what to pray, instead of like closing, you know, the time of prayer off and going and having the espresso, you linger, you lean in, and the scripture says the Spirit of God intercedes for us in those times. So you can, every time you pray, you can remind yourself of the Spirit of God and building that relationship by looking to Him to lead you in that time of prayer. Not only that, but when you're reading the Bible. Listen, today... Our teacher's the Holy Spirit. Our teacher's not, a teacher's not a human being. The human being's just the instrument. But it's the Spirit of God. Like when the Word of God is taught, it is infused with the power of God's Spirit so that it hits the heart like an arrow and brings life-transforming power. That's what the Spirit of God does. When you open your Bible in your devotional time, I want to encourage you to ask the Spirit of God to be your teacher. Ask him to instruct you. Ask him to reveal himself to you. And that fourth piece, rely on him, um, is exactly that. Rely on him. You say, well, rely on him for what? I say, rely on him for everything. Learn to live a life that is dependent upon the Spirit of God. Jesus will say in John chapter 15, verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I want to remind you today that without the Spirit of God in your life, you can't even breathe, right? You can't can't see what it is that God desires to do. The Scripture reminds us that the Spirit is our teacher. It reminds us that He is the one who comforts us. Do you need comfort today? 
Are you brokenhearted today? You know, Southern comfort's not gonna comfort you like the Holy Spirit can comfort you. <laughs> and and, and, and neither, neither can Netflix, and neither can a human relationship. You know, while the human relationship may be a blessing, the biggest blessing of all is the Spirit of God. Amen. And to be sincere in your need and to say to him, Spirit, comfort my heart. You are called the comforter. That's what he desires to do. He strengthens you. He guides you. Do you need wisdom today? Do you have big decisions that are set before you? Instead of laying out the list of pros and cons, instead of going to the latest podcast to get information and guidance, I'm not saying that those things don't have their place, but first and foremost, you have to ask the Spirit of God to lead you, to direct you, and to guide you. He gives wisdom. He supplies you with a spiritual gift. He is the presence of God in your life. He convicts us of sin, and he empowers us to be a witness for Jesus. If you want to enjoy God, if you want to become like Christ, if you want to radiate the kingdom of God, if you want to influence the world, you have to depend upon the Spirit of God. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Isaiah 55 verse 1 says this, Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. The Holy Spirit wants to satisfy you this week. Today we're going we're gonna to wrap up with a special moment of prayer. And... Um, I say all of this to you today, and, and I do believe it's the word of God for us, um, but I know you might be thinking, well, what are the next steps? I think sometimes when the scripture's taught and you're listening with a sincere heart, sometimes you can walk out and it's like, well, okay, well, what do I do with that? What, what do I do next? And what I want to do right now um, is I want to close this time with a time of prayer. Um, I want to lead you in this prayer, okay, because remember... When it comes to the Holy Spirit, it's a relationship. And so as you pray to the Spirit of God, he is gonna be faithful to hear you. And he's gonna be, as you're praying according to his will, as it's revealed in the scripture, he's gonna answer your prayer. Do you believe that today? And so let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm gonna lead you in prayer. And I'm just going to give you a couple of things to pray for and give you a minute or so to lift these things up to the Lord. The first one is this. Pray right now to the Holy Spirit that he would reveal himself to you, that he would give you knowledge and wisdom, that he would open up your eyes of understanding that he would cause you to see. Second thing I want to encourage you to pray is that the Holy Spirit would 
very specifically show you what next steps you need to take to grow in your relationship with him. Let's be very direct about this prayer and, and expect him to birth ideas in your heart and mind and to show you the next steps that you can take personally. third thing today is commit yourself in prayer just commit yourself to the spirit of God to being a better listener to listen to what the spirit of God speaks to you through his word and and in those times of prayer commit today to being obedient it's not just a matter of hearing and listening but it's a matter of obeying those things that he is directing you in or convicting you of. And in that, ask him to provide you the strength to live a victorious life for Christ. Father, we thank you today that, oh God, you have given us a word and help us this week to be faithful to apply your word, to grow in our relationship with the Spirit, to be more dependent, more reliant, more open, more willing to listen and to receive. Help us to have lives that are satisfied and satiated by your spirit and that we as Christians would not be looking to the world to supply what only you're able to give. Oh God, that there would be an overflowing life, an overflowing of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and kindness and self-control. God, we pray this week that our lives would sincerely reflect heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together.